was in an airport and I had just finished reading The Motivation Myth by Jeff Hayden. And I so, so enjoyed his book that I took a chance and I sent a text message via LinkedIn to say I enjoyed the book. I didn't think he would actually respond because, again, he's a famous author and writer. And then Jeff responded. I was so thrilled. I couldn't believe I actually made a connection with a famous author. But you know, at the end of the day, he is a person just like you and I. And I am grateful for the opportunity that he took my interview. And we talked about something so important in this soundbite about your purpose. And what are your goals? And I will say it was so relevant because when I set out to write my book, The CEO's Compass, I wrote it to resonate with very specific people that could use my insights and knowledge to elevate them. It is not for everybody. And so my marketing plan was very intentional. But let's listen to Jeff's conversation about setting goals and how we execute amazing insights. And I cannot wait to share the rest of the interview with you. You have to decide what success looks like and you have to kind of hold to that. So if success for you is bestseller list in a million copies, that's a goal, but it requires a different strategy on your part in order to reach it because you're going to have to market in a really, really creative way. You're probably going to have to spend a ton of money to do so. There's a lot of things that go into what success would be if that's your goal. If your goal is to impact people on a very deep level and you're not necessarily as concerned about how many it is, but you're concerned about the depth of the impact, well, then that's a different approach because that's making sure that what you write will truly resonate with some segment of the audience who needs what you offer. And I think people set out to do one thing and then whether it's their friends or family or just social media stuff or society in general or whatever, they adopt other people's ideas of success and start to embrace them for themselves. And then you're never going to achieve it if that's not what you were doing in the first place. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast, where I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review and tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And today I am honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Jeff Hayden. He is a speaker, ghostwriter, LinkedIn influencer, Inc. Magazine contributing editor and author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Motivation Myth. And The Motivation Myth overturns that beloved but false idea that motivation leads to success. Instead, small successes lead to constant motivation and let you achieve your biggest goals while having more fun. So Jeff, it is my honor. Welcome to the show. Deb, thanks for having me. We have known each other for a while, but have never spoken. So this is cool. You know, I love bringing our first conversation live to my listeners and just a little backstory how we met. For those of people that have been following me, I've been in business a little bit over two and a half years, but it was a journey moving from being in the corporate space 
to moving into a place where I said, I can do this on my own. I can build a business and build a brand. And it was during that time I read Jeff's motivation myth. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. I took a risk and I texted him. I was moving through airports. I said, Jeff, this has been a great book. Just thank you. And I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know. And guess what? He responded right away. And so from there, we started connecting with each other and finally pleased to have you on the show. So for our listeners, maybe just tell everybody a little bit about your backstory and how did you arrive at writing the book and the work that you're doing now? Cut me off if it goes too long. (laughs) When I went to college, I worked my way through college because my parents couldn't afford to send me. So I had a full-time job in a manufacturing plant and actually really liked it. I didn't see it as that, oh my gosh, I have to suffer through this in order to go through college. I actually liked it. So when I graduated, I interviewed for jobs. All of them were with with 40-year-old men in cubicles, basically, which I would love to be a 40-year-old man now. But at the time, I thought, oh my gosh, no, I can't do that. And I liked manufacturing. And so a plant had just opened in the town where I lived. And it's a Fortune 500 company. At the time, they were the world's largest commercial printers. So the plant manager where I worked said, we don't really have a lot for you here growth-wise. You should go over there, which was pretty generous of him because it's a new plant. It'll grow. It's a big company. And so I started out as the stereotypical college boy on the shop floor, which was okay because people underestimated me, which I liked. And then you can prove who you are. And I liked that too. And so my goal was to be a plant manager. I wanted to run a plant someday. It's a great company, was a great company. Didn't pay particularly well along the way, but would give you opportunities to learn whatever you wanted to learn, which looking back was the best pay I could have gotten. So I got to work in all kinds of different roles, leadership roles, sales, customer service, technical stuff. Got a really broad background and within, I guess it was about 20 years, which seemed like a really long time to me, but actually wasn't. I was running a plant. Did that for a couple of years, had a thousand employees. You know, this is my goal. I've achieved my goal. And I looked around one day and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> which is kind of frustrating. And and to tell you the story of how I arrived at that, which your listeners hopefully will, it'll resonate with them. One day a guy walked in my office and within a second or sentence and a half of what he was telling me, I knew the next 20 minutes. I knew what we were going to talk about. I knew that I would listen. I knew that I would empathize. I knew that we would share and discuss and do all this stuff. And I knew where we were going to end up. And what I really wanted to say was, You and Joe just need to get along and do your jobs because that was really the end result. And I thought, okay, if I'm thinking that way, then I am probably not best serving the people who work for me, if that makes sense. And so then I thought, yeah, then I probably should do something else. Problem was, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I would characterize it as I was talking about my job. My wife would say I was whining about my job and saying, oh, I want to do something else. I want to do something else. And she finally said, you know, then figure out what else you want to do. And I don't mean that in a harsh way. It was a, it was a positive thing. And so I somehow I just said, you know, I've always wanted to write. I have no writing background. Didn't go to school for that. Nothing like that. Only thing I had ever written was things for work. But for some reason, that seemed to appeal to me. So I talked about that for two or three months. I'm still working, by the way. One day she comes home and says, I got you your first writing job. I kind of stammered, you know, because there's a big difference between I would like to do something and actually starting out on the path to do that. And so she had found a guy who had a startup and he needed a press release. Well, I'd never written a press release. I'd never done anything like that. I, my first thought was I can't do that. My next thought was, well, I got to at least try. 
So it was the worst paid job I have ever had because I spent way too long on the project (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing. But I figured it out and finally sent it to him and he liked it and he hired me to do a couple other things. And then in the meantime, my my wife had created an account for me on Elance, which is now Upwork, that site where, you know, businesses post jobs and and people do that. It's a freelance site. So she's done that and she's signing, she's pitching jobs and getting me jobs, which I then have to complete, which was great. I'm not complaining because it got me going. But the cool thing about that was it was all ghostwriting. And instead of seeing writing as, wow, I want to fulfill some inner creative vision or express myself or whatever, it was a job where I had to say, what does this person need? What are their goals? What do they want to achieve with this? And how do I meet that? So I got to see myself as the contractor that builds the house, not the person who builds his own house and gets to live in it. And so that helped me a lot because I became very customer focused. And I I worried about, you know, how do I achieve what people need for me to achieve, which led me, I'm going to shorten this now because I know I've gone on way too long. But the problem with ghostwriting is that ghostwriting is like Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. First rule of ghostwriting is you can't talk about anyone that you've ever done a job for because it's all confidential. So it's really hard to market yourself when someone will say, can I see what you've written? Well, no. Can I see who you've written for? Well, no, I can't tell you that either, but I'll do a great job. You know, that's your marketing pitch. So my wife said, you need some stuff in your own name. And if you've gotten the sense that my wife is a big factor in whatever success I've achieved, then you're correct. And my first thought was nobody wants to read anything by me. And by that point, I had written books that had ended up on bestseller lists for other people. And I had done a lot of stuff, but it wasn't me. It was other people's. And I really saw it that way. And so I pitched a bunch of the business sites and got lucky. And one of them responded. And so started to write for them thinking that this would just be basically a lead generation kind of thing. If you liked what you read, you might notice my bio and say, oh, he's a ghostwriter. I need a ghostwriter. It turned out to be because I was and am paid by the page view and I've done really well with what I do. It's turned out to be a very lucrative, quote unquote, side thing. And I, so I generate a lot of revenue from that, but it also generates ghostwriting clients. It led me to being a speaker. It led me to doing other things. It led to finally Random House saying, hey, let's do a book because we know you have an audience. So all of that kind of grew out of zero plan on my part, other than responding to the fact that my wife said, I got you your first job, put up or shut up. <laughs> so, so that is my story. So that's that's full of so many insights. And it's interesting. We talk about sometimes if you want to try to do something new, you got to lay out a strategy, you got to lay out a plan and then follow your plan day by day, by week, by month, et cetera, to achieve some outcome. But you had, I don't know, a sponsor. You had somebody who kind of pushed you over the edge into what you did. So what was it that allowed you to say, okay, I'll give it a try? Because you said you went from I can't to I'll try. And then you tried again and you tried again, not knowing what the outcome would be. What, what was that? I'll say motivation. <laughs> well, the, the trick to all that, and I think where people get hung up is that we do tend to think that we have to have the plan laid out so that we know where we will go. And that without that comprehensive plan, there is no chance of success. And I would argue that it's almost the opposite because if anything of your comprehensive plan goes wrong, then you assume that you can't succeed because now this isn't working. And the problem is, if you're new to something, you don't know enough about it to create this master plan that will get you there because you don't really know how it works. So 
the first few jobs I did on Elance, I did fairly well with them, but I learned from it. I learned what people were looking for. I learned how to better find out what clients wanted. I learned how to create that match between what they expected and what I knew I could deliver. So I figured some of that stuff out and that led me to higher profile, higher paying jobs. The thing with writing like for ink, you know, part of what you have to do is you have to build an audience, but you have to write things that people will benefit from that will either entertain or inform or educate or whatever that might be that they also want to share that they want to spread to their audience. You can't figure that out unless you've done it for a while and start to see what works and what doesn't and kind of build that skill set. And so what got me going was just the fact that I finally got going. And then in the process of that said, okay, that worked, but some of it didn't. Let me do that a little bit differently next time. And then that worked, but some of it didn't. Let me do that a little bit different. And I think where people get hung up is you just have to start. And I know that sounds really trite and I know that sounds really simple, but it is true. If you start, then you can figure out what you need to do. And I'm going to throw this out there now, even though this isn't what you asked. If you want to do something new that is hard, you have to commit to doing it for at least two weeks. That's my two-week rule. And let's take a personal thing. Let's say you want to run a marathon and you don't run. I did that. <laughs> okay. So, so if you had not been running before that, the first time you go out, if you manage to do a mile and you come home and you go, oh my gosh, this is awful. Okay. You get up tomorrow, you're sore. You don't feel very good. You have to go run again. That's horrible too. Within two or three days, most people quit because they look at it and say the distance between here, which is me on the couch feeling really, really bad after running a mile, and there, which is that 26 miles that you managed to run, it's way too far and it's way too hard. And instead of being inspiring, that goal becomes defeating because it's just a bridge too far. And so if you commit to the two weeks, by the end of two weeks, you will have put in enough effort and you will have gotten past that beginning stage to where you can see that you are making some amount of improvement. It may not be a lot, but you will be able to tell that, you know what, I am better at this than I was at first. And I see light at the end of the tunnel and I see that the right process does work. And that will give you some motivation to keep going. But if you just tell yourself, I'm going to try this for a day or two, you will always quit because you can't get very far in a day or two with anything that's hard. It just seems hard. So insightful. And, you know, I'll share with you, I, on a dare, ran, actually, I have ran a marathon in two pieces. So on a dare, I said, okay, I'll do a half marathon with a friend of mine, and we're going to do it together. And I started training, pulled out the 12-week training thing, got up to about nine, 10 miles, and then she injured herself. And so I had to go it alone. And I will tell you, it was hard. But the fact that I just committed to doing it a little bit each day, I got to mile 11. I said, you know, I've come this far. Just keep going and you finish it. And somehow you find that thing. But just, I guess, making that mental commitment to at least try and then to persist through the process and trust and hope <laughs> you're doing all the right things. It's, it's such an interesting thing you talk about because I talk about you got to lay some kind of plan. You have to have some kind of outcome, some kind of aspiration. But then I guess with that is, well, but you have to do something daily. Because if you think about the outcome, it's so huge. Quitting is so easy. The side note to that, because I did make it seem really simple. You said you found a plan. A lot of times what happens is you people decide that they want to do something new and they decide because they're individual and they're special and they're unique because we're all told that, that 
their plan has to be unique and bespoke to them. And 99% of the time, we're kind of like other people. If you follow a good, solid training plan for running a half marathon, 95% of it is going to be right for you. There may be 5% you have to tweak, but you don't know what to tweak until you've gotten a little ways along the way and you have some experience and data that tells you, okay, I do need a little more rest than I thought, or I thrive on more frequency or whatever that may be. My thing with that is, and if I was going to sum up this part of the conversation, it's if you have something new you want to try, commit to doing it for two weeks, but look around and find someone who has done the thing that you want to do and get advice from them on what you should do and then commit to actually following it and not saying, oh yeah, but I really know better because you don't know better. You haven't done it. So you can't know better. So follow what they do, do it for two weeks. You will make progress if you have put in the effort and that will be inspiring and motivating. And like you, you know, you get to mile 11. It's like, you know what? I can do this. I know how to work hard. I know how to persevere. I know how to suffer through. And I know that this will build to something bigger and better. And so I agree with your plan thing. But the problem is most people can't come up with their own plan very easily because they haven't done it. So how do you make a plan for something you've never done? So find one from someone who has actually done it. You'd be amazed. You can get people at all levels, even the highest levels of whatever achievement it is. If you are sincere and genuine in your request for, hey, can you give me some advice and guidance? People will help you. They do all the time. But you have to be sincere and genuine, I guess is the way I would sum that up. That summarizes what I've been doing. So, you know, when you are your own business owner, it is very lonely. You can join Chamber of Commerce or professional networking groups, but you have to be sincere about really making connections with people, first of all, that you like, you trust, and then through that relationship, you pick their brain. So I will tell you, yes, I've hired coaches for different aspects of my business, but for as much as I've hired a coach, it was through creating those relationships, picking their brain figuring out what worked for me, because if I try to follow their 10-step plan, most of us won't succeed. So you do have to figure it out. Use your own mind. Now, I just have a question because I just finished putting in my first draft of my book, The CEO's Compass, in with the editor. And it is a process, not only the writing, but then also learning about how should I market it, self-publish or go with a regular publisher and all of that, and just trusting yourself. I'm curious for you having written the book. Yes, it wound up with a good result, more speaking events, etc. But did it do something to you in the process? Did you change? Did you learn or realize anything about yourself because of writing the book? You know, any aha moments? Because sometimes the creative and writing process itself, when you immerse yourself in the work, you start to learn some things about yourself. At face value, I would say no. Because I had been writing forever and ever, and I have, I don't know, four to six, or I lost count somewhere along the way, million published words somewhere out there, whatever. It's a ton. So I was used to writing, and I was used to writing with my own name on it by that point, because I had been doing that for ink for a long time. And so that part wasn't different, but the aha part of it that came both before and after, the before was when... Really, which was the spark of the book was I'm lucky enough that I get to talk to lots of really successful people as part of what I do. And what I found with all of them is that none of them had that lightning bolt moment of motivation and inspiration. And I have just found my life's work and that will give me all the motivation I need to do it for the rest of my life. They were all people that found something they were interested in, sought to get better at it 
and followed a process that allowed them to get there. So that was the first part because so many people sit around and wait for the lightning bolt and the lightning bolt will never come. You create your own small lightning bolts. That's kind of the theme of the book. The other aha on the other end of it was when I first published it, I thought, okay, this is going to sink into the sea and die because that is my default position on anything that I do is that it is going to fail miserably. And it did really well. And so the aha on that, which I had already known, but I struggled to internalize for myself, is that really successful people are just like me and you. They have just worked really, really hard to be really, really good at one thing. And that's why they're successful. And so I worked really hard on my book. I had worked really hard on building, building an audience before that, all of those things. So that's why it did well. I'm still the same doofus that I am, but I've, I can do that one thing really well. And all the people that I've talked to, whether they're actors or musicians or business people or whoever they may be, whatever field, they all have their foibles and their quirks and their oddities and their weaknesses and all that other stuff. They've just worked really hard to get really good at one thing. And so I think we assign people that are really successful these superpowers of sorts, that they are somehow different on all levels from all of us. And it's just not true. And so that's the biggest aha for me in having talked to people like that is that I admire their accomplishments and I respect them as people, but they are not really that different. And that's an empowering thing because that means if you work hard and if you devote yourself to something and if you set out to achieve something really big in some area, you can do it too because there is no secret sauce and there is no genetic gift that these folks have. That's, my, that, that's probably my biggest aha from all of that. So that unto itself is so motivating because, <laughs> like I said, I've just written my book. I have put so much into it. It is a lot of years of thinking through and experiences and where have I seen success and how have I been able to help others. And it may not be for everybody, but somebody is going to like it. And it may not be thousands, but if it's a hundred, ten, whatever, being able to impact just one person, sometimes that's all that matters. Hope to sell a few more than just that, but that's really helpful to level set the landscape. The trick also is you have to decide before it comes out, and this is true in a broader sense as well, but we'll use your book as an example. You have to decide what success looks like and you have to kind of hold to that. So if success for you is bestseller list and a million copies, that's a goal, but it requires a different strategy on your part in order to reach it because you're going to have to market in a really, really creative way. You're probably going to have to spend a ton of money to do so. There's a lot of things that go into what success would be if that's your goal. If your goal is to impact people on a very deep level and you're not necessarily as concerned about how many it is, but you're concerned about the depth of the impact, well, then that's a different approach because that's making sure that what you write will truly resonate with some segment of the audience who needs what you offer and will benefit from it and will always look back and say, wow, I'm glad I read Deb's book because that set me on a different course. So if that's success, then your approach is different as well. And and I think people lose sight of that. They set out to do one thing, and then whether it's their friends or family or just social media stuff or society in general or whatever, they adopt other people's ideas of success and start to embrace them for themselves. And then that metric, you're never going to achieve it if that's not what you were doing in the first place. And so I don't, I don't know if that made sense. Like, here's my example. So Tim Ferriss, I knew Tim Ferriss before Tim was Tim Ferriss. You know, he was just a struggling guy who was trying to get his first book on any kind of bestseller list. 
And he said to me, one of the things, you know, four-hour work week was a lot about outsourcing. And one of his stories in there was he outsourced his dating life, where he had a virtual assistant fill out profiles for him. They would line up the date. Now, he would actually show up, but everything else about it got handled by someone else. And so he was very forthright about the fact that he did that partly to illustrate that you can outsource just about anything, but also because he knew that morning's talk show hosts would love to end a segment with, and coming up next, we're going to talk to a guy who outsourced his dating life, ha ha ha, because he knew that would get attention. So his goal, one of his goals with the book was he wanted as wide an audience as possible and he wanted to sell as many books as he could. So part of writing it was knowing that he had to weave in some things that would capture attention for whatever reason, whether because it was noteworthy or, or notorious or whatever it might be. He knew he had to do that. And so he was very clear about the goals he had and that led him there. And so I know I'm repeating myself, but I think people often get hung up when they start something. They have a goal in mind, but the process they have to get to that goal, they don't connect. And so you start to get frustrated really early on because it's not working out. If you start to write for a business site and you're not doing millions of page views right away and that was your goal, but you were writing really heartfelt, sincere stuff that probably would only touch a small number of people, you're never going to do it. And by the same token, if you're writing for a clickbait audience, no one is ever going to write you a note and say, that just changed my life. I am so grateful for you to you for having done so. So the disconnect between what your goals are and your process, I think is what causes people to fail oftentimes. So you have to define success for yourself and you have to stick to that. Great insight. Failure is because maybe you set the goal incorrectly, not aligned with your purpose. Yeah. So insightful. Now, I'm just going to go in another direction a little bit. Actually, I'm not even going to go to your ink writing. You are a prolific writer. Tell me a little bit about you are an over-the-hill motorcycle <laughs> racer. I, got, I want to change this up a little bit. We can talk about motivation for hours, but tell me about motorcycle racing. I just, when I was young, I was stupid. I was fast, but I was also stupid. I used to live in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, where there are lots of mountains and there are lots of twisty mountain roads, and I was fast. And I wrecked a bunch too. And so finally someone talked me into riding on a track and I thought, okay, that might be really fun. It's an entirely different discipline and it requires an entirely different skill set and it requires a lot of thought and planning and experimentation and lots of process stuff, which actually was really fun. So I, I raced motorcycles for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, something like that until I got a little less nimble and a little too banged up. But it was, it was really fun and it was probably the best head clearing thing that I had at the time, you know, where you get kind of bogged down by life and stuff and whatever else. And if you go around and blast around for a while and, <laughs> you know, you come back, you, you do come back kind of cleared out. Today, that same thing happens for me through exercise. So like if I, I ride bicycles a lot and I do other stuff. And so there is that moment if you're riding up a mountain and your heart rate's past where it should be and you can't hardly see and visions closing in or whatever, all the non-essential stuff strips away and you're just left with yourself and whether or not you're going to keep going or not and whether or not you returned a call the other day or your inbox is full or all that other stuff, it does not matter because you are about to die <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> and so it's the same thing. And I guess I've always looked for stuff like that in what can I do that has a purpose, you know, because the cycling there is a purpose of that. It is fitness related. It does keep me healthy and things like that. But it also, there's a mental aspect to it as well. And so 
I like to look for goals and I like to pursue goals that have multiple levels to them. So like if I want to be fitter, it's not necessarily because I want to look better on the beach or something. I, I want to live longer and I want to live healthier and things, but I also, also think it's good for my mind. I think it translates over into other things where endurance and persistence and willpower are related. You know, like you with curling, there are things you get out of that, I'm sure, that translate to other areas of your life. Absolutely. And so I always tell people when they're, they're saying, hey, I've got this bucket list of goals, I always say pick the one that will work for you on as many levels as possible because that's the one you're probably the most likely to stick with. And it's also the one that will give you the most fulfillment on a regular basis, so that even if you're not achieving one aspect of it, if another is still working for you, then you're going to hang in there. You know, I so agree with that. And whether it's journaling, or meditating, or like you said, the exercise, and again, don't follow what the gurus say, find something. I have the same thing. Again, I hate running. Once I get over the mile and a half and I start writing, oh my, does it clear the mind? If I have been bothered by something, it no longer bothers me. I come home to my husband and say, I'm fine, dear. <laughs> and also there is a point of clarity. I have actually developed strategies when I was struggling in my business because through that process, everything just subsided and there was like this clear path to I see it, I feel it, and I can even articulate it. So when you're done, it's like, I got it. I got that. I had the aha moment. I'm now able to move forward. Yeah, I write in my head while I ride a bike. It's the weirdest thing. And I'm never as good on paper as it sounded in my head. So you talk to yourself <laughs> too? I talk to myself. <laughs> uh, not out loud, but like I'll be, I'll be sifting through stuff and I'll have, I'll have come up with like 10 perfect paragraphs. When I get home, they're kind of okay because it never comes out quite as well as I thought. But that's the funny thing about exercise is that it's something that you hate to do, but you're glad you did it. I couldn't it. agree more. And if you can just keep that in mind <laughs> that, you know what, I hate to start this, but once I get going, it's not bad. And I'm going to be glad when it's over. I don't know. That's all I really need is just to remember that, yep, I'll be glad when it's over. Now, I just want to draw attention to my listeners that you're a prolific writer with uh, Inc. Magazine. Uh, you, again, write all the time. But I want to pick up one article you wrote on April 13th, Why Leaders Should Say, Thank you. Oh, my. Well, isn't that just so <laughs> obvious? There must have been some impetus or something that you saw that said, you know, I got to talk about this when it should be obvious. Why is it not so obvious? I saw this clip, and I think that's embedded in the article for Mad Men, where Peggy is, she's upset because she thinks Don took credit for her idea. And, you know, they go back and forth. And he says, he says something to her and you say, and you never say thank you. And he says, that's what the money's for. You know, so in other words, pay is your thank you. And I have friends because of the age that I am. I have contemporaries who feel that if people are doing their jobs and you're paying them fairly, well, that's an, that's a transaction that doesn't require a thank you because that's that's what the job is. I pay you and you do a good job. If you go above and beyond, yeah, maybe I'll thank you. And there's there's some research, I think, that's in the article that shows that just the occasional thank you here and there has a huge effect on engagement and fulfillment and loyalty and on all kinds of other things like that, as long as it's sincere and genuine. I had a boss that used to walk by. It would be on Thursday afternoons, like clockwork. I was convinced it was on his calendar to go out and hang out with the troops. That's, I'm sure that was his entry. And he would come by and he would have these stilted little conversations and yeah. His job, I think, was just to show that, you know, he appreciated our efforts. But it was so insincere and, and transparently scheduled 
that actually it had the opposite effect because we'd, we'd watch him walk away and we go, what is that? But had he walked by and said, hey, I know you guys worked over yesterday to get that job out. I really appreciate it. And I know our customer does too. Okay, that's something real and genuine and actual and tangible and also supports a behavior that he would have wanted us to display. So you, if you're a type A, hardcore, everything has to have a bottom line. If you thank people for the behaviors that you hope that they will display, they'll probably display them more often. Or you could just be nice about it and say, you know what? Appreciation is a good thing and no one ever gets enough appreciation. And so why would I not give that? Because it is free to me and it's valuable to the other person. Jeff, this has been an amazing conversation. The book is a great piece of work. You're writing Inc. Magazine. There are so many different topics and they're all very, very interesting, but you're just a great person to have a conversation with. So I sincerely thank you for your time. Is there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think I'll just repeat the one I said about really successful people. They are no different than anyone else. They just worked really hard to be good at something and see that as very empowering. And when you're tempted in your mind to say, why would that work for me? Flip it around and say, why wouldn't that work for me? Because I'm not any different from anybody else. And working hard and being persistent and determined, that can be your superpower. All right. You've been an amazing guest, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you. And look forward to your future success. Thank you so much. Thanks. I I really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.